just while Mark is um, setting things up there, um, the picture on the screen is one of my favorite uh, stretches of road. You might recognize it. It's uh, the road on the way back from Ashawi as you're coming. Uh, it's the road that goes to Malmuth, which you would then turn off and go uh, to Mpangeni. And that's from a few years back. We were doing a, a bit of a family road trip to see friends at the boardwalk there. Um, so that's the backdrop of, of our message today, if you're wondering where that's from. Well, good morning, everyone. It, it, it really is uh, always a privilege to be able to um, just share what uh, God is speaking to me about and hope that as he's been speaking these things to me, that something of what I've been learning from God would be helpful and beneficial and encouraging um, to you. And it's always with a prayer that God would watch over his word and not my opinions and not my uh, cleverness that I, you know, that I think I possess, but that he would watch over his word and that the Holy Spirit would bring life from the seed of God, God's word that's planted in our hearts today. So as we begin, we're going to be looking at what I've called the Pilgrim's Playlist. And it'll make sense just now what I'm talking about. But first, just to rewind to what Mark shared about last Sunday. He spoke about discipleship and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm sure you would agree that we live in a world that's obsessed with instant quick fixes, instant gratification, personal freedom, is one of our highest values. A person's happiness, their self-fulfillment, we um, elevate these things to places of high honor. And we're in an endless race of comparison with people. Parents, we're comparing ourselves to what other parents are doing. What do other children have? What are other parents providing for their children? We compare our careers. How am I doing at this stage in my life as I approach 40? which is a very scary number. How are other people doing who are approaching 40? Am I falling behind? Am I streaking ahead? These things aren't going to lead anywhere positive. We have this almost permanent sense of FOMO. If you're wondering what I'm talking about, you're missing out. <laughs> Our fear of missing out, it's with us all the time. And there's an endless chasing after the next newest, most shiny thing. Whether it's a vehicle, whether it's a new device, a new phone, a new app, a new subscription, whatever it might be. There's always something that we might be missing out on. And in this quick fix culture where the self sets the agenda, we come across a very, very different message from Jesus. It's a radically different way of life. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I'd like to start with a quote. It goes like this. Dissatisfaction with the world as it is, is preparation for traveling the way of Christian discipleship. It was written by Eugene Peterson in a book uh, called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Excellent book. And he argues that unless a person is dissatisfied with the world they find themselves in, they're not ready to walk the journey of Christian discipleship. 
And in this book, it really is an excellent book, he presents two very helpful descriptions of the Christian life. The first one is of a disciple. The second is of a pilgrim. These are images that are used in Scripture. He makes this distinction. As disciples, we are people who spend our lives apprenticed to our master Jesus, which is what Mark was speaking about last week. We are in a growing learning relationship always. None of us at any point in our lives will be able to say, I've finally arrived. I've attained everything that Jesus had in mind for me. Brilliant. Take me home, Lord. None of us will ever be able to say that. We do not acquire information about God on this journey, but rather teaching in how to live a life of faith. It's instruction, it's skills development, if you want to use modern terminology. Then as pilgrims, we are people who have left where we were, and we are on a journey to where we are one day hoping to be, and we are in this in-between place. Eugene Peterson puts it like this, we spend our lives going to God, and the path for getting there is the way, Jesus Christ. We realize this world is not our home, so we set out for the Father's house. We are disciples and we are pilgrims. So this morning I'd like to explore some of the elements of this road trip that we are on. This road trip to the Father's house as disciples and as pilgrims. So this morning I'd like to introduce you to what I've called the Pilgrim's Playlist. But before we press play... Psalm 121. If you have your Bibles, you're most welcome to open um, to Psalm 121. Otherwise, you can just listen to it and let the words sink into your heart. Psalm 121. The Lord, the Keeper of Israel. A song of ascents. I will lift up my eyes to the hills of Jerusalem. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I'd like you to picture a group of people that this pilgrim is walking with. He's just said those two verses and now they speak to him. He will not let your foot slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in. Everything that you do from this time forth and forever. I love this psalm. We're going to spend some time going through this psalm today. And the Pilgrim's Playlist for me is about, as pilgrims, as disciples, finding help and hope on a difficult journey. If you've lived long enough, which is not very long, you don't have to live very long, to come up against something that's difficult in life. It might be something that you are totally unprepared for, or that your parents have been trying to prepare you for. Think, for example, the first day of school. We come up against difficult things all the time. And I'm going to just look at eight tracks on this playlist that you and I can listen to as we follow Jesus and learn to walk in his way. Track one, 
in this world you will have trouble. Sung to the tune of It's a Hard Knock Life. <laughs> you know that song, I'm sure. John 16 verse 33 is where this comes from. Jesus is trying to comfort his disciples. Now, if you were comforting someone, you would try to shield them from the bad news <laughs> and highlight all the good things. Focus on the positives, disciples. No, Jesus hits the truth head on. In this world, you will have trouble. So what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus, a pilgrim on his way? It's to walk head on into the trouble. And part of the journey Mark spoke about last week is learning to patiently endure the hard times when they come, not if they come, but when they come, and when they come, to live still trusting God. Now this week, just being very vulnerable, on Thursday evening, one of my closest friends from high school passed away suddenly. And I lived in their home for a while. And it was just, I could not wrap my head around it. I still can't. They've got three young kids. And he, for me, was like a, a spiritual beacon through high school. He's one of those people that every single time I saw him, he was modeling what it looked like to follow Jesus. And he lost his father two years ago, and now he himself is no longer with us. And I think, I think of his wife and the three young kids who are living lives of faith, and they've come up against this. And it does not make sense. And so many of us here and people that you would have known have experienced these types of things in their life. Following Jesus does not exempt us from the things that go on in, in the world. And this year, God has been challenging some unhelpful assumptions that I've made about the way that he works in the world and the way that he works in my life. The way that things should be if I follow Jesus. Lord, I thought I signed up for the good life. But the truth is that life is hard. Even when you set out, sometimes especially when you set out to do things in the will of God, when you set out to follow his purposes, then you realize that you're up against the enemy. So this is from Charles Spurgeon's reflections on John 16 verse 3. I love it. Paraphrased because he writes in Old English. He identifies four reasons for trouble. And the first is that this trouble refines our faith and sharpens our focus on the work of God. That's the first thing. The second thing, it provides us with evidence of the work of a deposed king, and these are his words, who will not willingly lose his subjects. Love that. The devil does not want to lose the people who he's had a hold on. He's set on the destruction of all people. The third source of this trouble, or the third reason for this trouble, it's part of life in a fallen world. We are living in the enemy's country. The Bible speaks over and over again about how we are strangers in this world. It's not our home. And the last source of this trouble that Charles Spurgeon identifies are the failings in our own hearts, our own 
inherent human weaknesses. We are susceptible to give in to temptation and what the Bible calls the lusts of the flesh, which today we would just call cravings. We've all got them. Whether it's a series you're binge-watching on Netflix or other unhelpful addictions or habits, we are all susceptible to it, and it brings trouble into our lives. But that's not the only track on this playlist, thankfully. Track two. Where does my help come from? To the tune of Help by the Beatles. Which I was absolutely amazed. My seven-year-old daughter at the breakfast table started singing Help by the Beatles. I'm like, well, how do you know this song? And then they reminded me it was part of the Nativity concert. Um, the words were changed and then I realized, oh. So it's not just that you are some cultural aficionado prodigy who knows music from the 60s. <laughs> Incredible. What's the significance of the hills in Psalm 121? It's an interesting thing to do, to look at the hills and then ask the question, where does my help come from? As if geography is in some way linked to the help that comes from God. Now in the Old Testament especially, but even into the New Testament, we see it coming out. The hills represented the high places. And the high places over and over in the Old Testament, you read about how the people of Israel, when they went away from God, they started building themselves high places, which were like these shrines or these idols or these places where they could go and worship and offer sacrifices for other gods to rescue them from whatever situation they were facing. Whether it was Baal or Asherah or whoever it is that they were worshipping on these high places, they were on the hills. Even the Samaritan woman at the well said to Jesus, oh, please tell us, which mountain should we be worshipping on? I look to the hills. Now, we don't necessarily have physical hills that are our shrines in this day and age, but we have high places. Think about Wall Street. Think about Silicon Valley. Even the UN. We've got these high places that we look to for our help. It could be money. It could be medicine. It could be technology. Whatever it is, there are high places in our lives that we look to for help. I'm looking around in the high places I might have potentially a health diagnosis that takes me completely by surprise. Which high place do I look to? Speaking on this kind of question, where does my help come from? Matt Howell of Redeemer Presbyterian Church shares a profound story. He was talking about a trip that he went on through the forest and he took a group of varsity students with them on a retreat and they were walking through this forest and they came across a number of these beautiful pools but the pools were just beyond a set of rocks so they couldn't just jump into the water none of them would have been able to make it far enough but they found a rope swing attached to a nice branch that went out over the water so being the responsible minister that he was he tested it to check that this can hold the weight of the people who are going to be swinging off it into the water. And he goes on and says, can this swing hold me? Can the rope or the branch carry my weight? And he asks us 
to ask the same question of the high places we have in our lives. Because what we're actually doing is we are asking certain things to carry the weight of our hopes. They were never designed to do that. He goes on and he says this, when every other support gives way, do I think this thing can bear the weight of my life? Is it capable of holding my hopes? If I put all of me onto this thing because I'm hoping it's going to provide me with some help or security, will it bear the weight of my soul? Now, if you think about the high places that we set up in our culture, there are none that will carry the weight of your soul. When all other supports give way, you might have been in a position where every other support that you've relied on in your life has given way. None of the high places that you would have set up apart from God will bear the weight of your soul. So Matt Howell, at the end of the story, he goes on to suggest that there is only one high place that will carry the weight of your life. Track three. My help comes from the Lord. To the tune of Jacob's Ladder, a song you might not be familiar with from the 80s. Now this is such a great track on the playlist and it echoes Psalm 120, the first song of ascent. And in that song, the psalmist said, In my trouble I cried to the Lord and he answered me. My help comes from the Lord. Now what kind of help does God provide? We read the psalm just now and there's a specific word that gets used four times in that psalm. And it's even in the title in some versions of, or some translations, the American Standard and the Amplified Bible both put the title in as the Lord, the Keeper of Israel. It's not where my help comes from. It's the Lord, the Keeper of Israel. And that phrase of God keeping his people is repeated four times in that song. It's not on shuffle, it's on repeat. Now, this comes from a story in Genesis, this concept of God keeping Israel, where he promised to keep the actual person who was Israel, Jacob. And if you've got your Bibles, we can, we're going to rewind to Genesis 28 verse 10 through to 12. And Jacob had made some sketchy decisions in his life. If he was my brother... And he had done to me what he did to Esau. I would also, like Esau, want to kill him. He had set himself up for some disastrous interpersonal conflict. He'd been deceitful plenty times with the help of his mom. He's not the strongest, most noble fellow <laughs> that you ever come across. And he is running for his life when we meet him in Genesis 28 verse 10. He's fleeing. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head because he was hardcore and lay down to sleep. That's old school. He had a dream 
in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And this is where that word comes in. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. It's the same word in Hebrew, Shema, that was used in Psalm 121, the God who keeps. And we'll look at that word shortly. I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I've promised you. When Jacob woke up from his sleep, he thought, too many mushrooms. No, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And he named the place Bethel, meaning the house of God. And as far as I can tell, looking into that, that specific Hebrew word, this is the first time that God uses it as a promise to keep someone. It's also used in, in Genesis 2, where God tells Adam to keep creation, to cultivate it, to look after it. And that's the same promise that God gives to Jacob. I'm going to keep you. And that word means to watch over, to preserve, to protect, and to guard. It's also used of a hedge of thorns to protect a community from danger. And the same word is repeated four times in Psalm 121. And so the way in which God keeps his people according to Psalm 121, he won't let my foot slip. He makes my steps steady. He won't fall asleep on the job. He's always attentive. He is my shade at my right hand. He is as close to me and as present with me as my shadow. You might remember that story or that um, section in Peter Pan where he loses his shadow and it has to be stitched back onto his feet. God is as present with us as our own shadow. Goes on in Psalm 121 to say, He will protect me from all evil and He will guard my going out and my coming in, everything I do now and forever. And I, this next section I shared with Andrew when he was still in hospital uh, the first time around. Um, because I felt it was very pertinent to his situation. In the Greek, when the Old Testament was translated into Greek, the word that was used, I'm going to mispronounce this, I'm sure, dia folasso, definitely mispronounced it, meaning to carefully or thoroughly guard and protect, to preserve by having an eye on, and it's also used of the uninterrupted vigilance of shepherds when keeping their flocks. Now, I'm no Greek scholar, but the people who are tell me that this word appears in the Greek middle voice, which means there is a personal interest. There's a constant personal interest in that verb. In other words, the verb, the keeping, is done with a constant personal interest on the part of the person doing the keeping. So the shepherd is not distracted on some far off distant hill. He's present, he's attentive, he's watching. He's invested. In the same way, God keeps 
his people. And it's, it reaches to the depths of our being. It's, it's like a microscopic level. It's where you, you can't understand the depths of God's keeping of you. We will perceive it one day. But for now, God keeps us in a way that we do not comprehend. Track four. Back to John 16, verse 33. Take heart, I have overcome. My favorite song here, it's to the tune of Eye of the Tiger. Mm. You know that section where Rocky has just won his first boxing match and he screams out, Adrian! Do you know that? That section, if you've not watched Rocky in a while, do yourself a favor. Matt Howell from Redeemer Presbyterian Church says, we should lift up our eyes to a different hill. And he's speaking of the hill of Golgotha, where Jesus overcame every enemy that you and I will ever face. In this world, we will have trouble. We are going to be up against it. But thankfully, whatever evil is in the thing that comes against us, Jesus has already defeated. There's this analogy, I don't remember who said it, but all the water in all of the oceans cannot sink a ship until it gets inside. And what God does for us, all of the evil in all of the world, He took on Himself so that it would not get inside us and destroy us. And that's what He says when He says, I protect you from evil. It's not that no bad things are ever going to happen to you, but the evil that's in the bad thing is not going to destroy your soul. It's not going to get inside and sink your ship if you lift your eyes to a different hill. Now Jesus, Mark shared this a couple of weeks ago on Easter, was able to greet the disciples after his resurrection. I looked it up again. Three times in a row, he says, peace to you, peace to you, peace to you, because they were stressed. <laughs> but also, it wasn't just some therapeutic thing. It's Jesus declaring victory. The war is won. Peace to you. In this world, there will have, you will have trouble, but peace to you because I have overcome. And the, the reason I, I spoke about Jacob's ladder earlier is because Jesus, I would, have, I would have been like Thomas, scratching my head half the time at the things that Jesus said and asking for further explanation. Because in John 1 verse 47 to 51, he says the following. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, one of the disciples, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. And that's enough to blow Nathanael's mind. So then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now what that means is Jesus making a promise that he is connecting heaven to earth. He is the one in whom that promise that God made to Jacob in the desert is fulfilled. It was called the gateway of heaven. Jesus is for us our gateway of heaven. And through him, 
Earth is connected to heaven. You no longer live under angry skies because earth has been connected to heaven. It's not like the Tower of Babel where people frantically trying to work their way up to God. This is a ladder that came down from heaven, landed on earth in the person of Jesus. That was God. He built that ladder. God built that ladder. It's not people trying to find their way to him. Jesus is the gateway to heaven. Track five. I am going to prepare a place for you to the tune of one of the most famous songs in the world, Jerusalem. In Jesus, we now live in the house of God. And that is an incredible thing because in the Old Testament, the house of God and especially the most holy place was reserved for the select, select few. You had the select few, and then of the select few were even more select, select few who were allowed to go in to the holy place to minister to God. But through Jesus, we now have access to God by grace. It's incredible. Now, again, this is where Thomas comes in. John 14, verse 1 to 6, he says, this is Jesus speaking, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas, thinking, did I miss a meeting? Was there some kind of a plan that was discussed that I fell asleep about? So Thomas, again, unsure of exactly what Jesus is talking about, he sings this pre-chorus. Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? To which Jesus responds with an epic bridge. It's so well known. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, the gateway of heaven. If you really knew me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Amazing. Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. And this is the home for which we long. That's the place we were made for. If you read Hebrews 11, it's the place so many have longed for but they never got to see. And we might not see it while we are still alive on earth. Jesus may not return during our lifetimes. We're going to live as if he is. But that is the home for which we, together with countless others throughout history, have longed and longed and longed. Track six. Here is your helper. And to be honest, I couldn't... Think of a song to adequately describe the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I didn't want to be trite because this is so amazing that God would give us himself in the Holy Spirit. In John 16, verse 7 to 15, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, 
And he told the disciples that the Holy Spirit would be in close fellowship with them, intimate fellowship with them, leading them in the way of truth and righteousness. He even said that the Holy Spirit wouldn't just speak on his own, but he would take what is from the Father and reveal it to us. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says, What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love Him, these are the things that God has revealed to us by His Spirit. And listen to this. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, and makes those known to us. There are still mysteries to God that I don't know we will ever understand, even into eternity. But of the deep things of God, in your personal time with Him, trust for the Holy Spirit to reveal to you some of the deep things of God. Because the situations that you and I face in life, they need supernatural help. I've been reading a book on the Psalms, I've, I've mentioned it a couple of times, The Travelogue of the Interior by Corinne de Baggin. Excellent book. And on Psalm 23, she shares a story about a person in their worship team. They were practicing a new version of Psalm 23 to sing at someone's funeral. And the chapter is called Singing in Graveyards. And Psalm 23 has got that passage about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And one of the people at the worship team didn't say anything at this particular memorial, but afterwards said, please can we go to another plot in the cemetery where my two children are buried? Mm. And they sang the song at the site of his children's graves. And I, I, I think of that. Mm. And I realize we don't know half of the depth of the riches of, the, of God that he has to share with people. Sorry. Track seven. And you will be my witnesses. To the tune of Can I Get a Witness by one of my favorite artists, Jordan Feliz. Excellent song. Acts 1 verse 8. The track could also be called Why Do You Stand Here Looking at the Sky? Acts 1 verse 11. If I was a disciple, I would have built a shrine right there where Jesus was taken up into heaven because he'd been promising he's coming back. I'm guessing he's coming back. There's a portal. There's a portal over here. He's coming back over here, guys. I'm not going to the shops. I'm not going back to my fishing. I'm not going anywhere because Jesus is coming back here. And I don't want to be the pleb who misses it. And Thomas is accustomed to missing things that are discussed. FOMO. FOMO. <laughs> Ultimate spiritual FOMO. But then these angels appear and say to the disciples, what are you doing? Why are you looking at the sky? The gift of the Holy Spirit was not intended to make us oh so spiritual that we can look up at the sky and see through the clouds a glimpse of heaven that is reserved for the select few. The gift of the Holy Spirit is for us to demonstrate the reality of the kingdom of heaven here. 
And that's what the angels are saying to the disciples. Don't sit here staring at the sky. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and get on with it. Because in Genesis 28, we read over and over, it was for all people. That all people would be blessed through the offspring of Israel, which is the person of Jesus. So it wasn't intended, the gift of the Holy Spirit that is, to be for our own spiritual enlightenment or our own holiness. Rather, it's the enablement that we need to live kingdom lives here on earth. So in other words, your discipleship, your pilgrimage, is not for your personal development. It's not for your personal fulfillment in life. It's so that you would be part of a much bigger story that's been told from the beginning of time. Even before, before the world's foundations, God had made certain decisions about drawing people into the circle of His love. Track 8. And let us run, fixing our eyes on Jesus. To the tune of I Will Run by Jason Morant. Excellent, excellent song. The next line, he says, I will run, all my days are yours. Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 3, reads like this. And this is on the back of Hebrews 11. All the people who have lived lives of faith but never saw what was promised. Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all those who've lived lives of faith before us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, as it says in the NIV. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There's a word picture in Hebrews 12. Again, my Greek is very poor. But the word is gumnazo. And I looked into it, and it's, the origin is the, like the, if you can imagine, the Spartan wrestling arena. And the word means to exercise either naked or with a light loincloth. Would be my preference. And these people used to train and train and train. Endurance. They would, you, you would have seen possibly movies like 300 where the Spartans, they would, their children would be accustomed to beatings from early on. And it's that picture of endurance, throwing off everything that hinders, down to the bare bones, if you have to, to run with endurance the race that's been marked out for you and I. And this song could go on for a while. <laughs> I don't know how long this uh, pilgrimage will be, how, and, you know, and as far as time goes. But for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the unendurable so that we can endure whatever it is that we face. And there are echoes here of the tracks that we've played up until now. The fact that this is a difficult journey. The race requires endurance because the road is long and the journey requires supernatural strength. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. But where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord.
who has given us his spirit to help us, instruct us, lead us in the way of discipleship and point us all the time to Jesus and reveal what is the, in the depth of the Father's heart to us. After all, it's Jesus that we follow. It's his way that we walk and we are his disciples. I'd like to close with Colossians, 1, uh, Colossians 3 verse 1 to 4 that Mark spoke from last week and it says this therefore since you have been raised with Christ to a new life this is from the amplified version sharing in his resurrection keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your mind and keep focused habitually on the things above the heavenly things not on things that are on earth which only have temporal value for you died and your new real life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You for this journey that You're watching over us on. That's a great song. <laughs> Sorry, Doreen. <laughs> I love music of any kind. Yeah. So Lord, we thank you for these songs that we get to sing. I thank you for the promises that we get to sing. Your word says that you even sing over us. You rejoice over your people with singing. And today we can sing that even though there is trouble in the world, our help comes from you. We can lift our eyes to the one who is above all the hills, the one who is so much higher than the hills, so much higher than the high places that we have in our culture today. And we can look to you as the one who keeps us, the one who is so personally interested and attentive to our lives. I thank you, Father, that you've not just gone and left us to our own devices but you've given us your spirit to be our helper to be our comforter to be the one who comes alongside us and lord i thank you that you rejoice you delight in taking of your depths and sharing them with us by your holy spirit thank you for the gifts of the spirit that lead us into truth and righteousness lord i pray even what you prophesied over the disciples, that peace be with you, peace be with you, peace be with you, because you have overcome. Whatever evil is in any of the bad things that happen in our lives, you have overcome, Lord, so that it would not be in any way able to destroy our soul. And Lord, I thank you that we can fix our eyes on Jesus, because you are the author, you are the pioneer, you are the one who leads us in this race. You go out before us and we simply follow you with the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, for people who are facing hardship, Lord, people who are facing difficult times, and even into this week, there will be things that may happen that we do not expect. 
And in those moments, Father, I pray you would bring to mind your word, your promises that you are the one who keeps us. And in those moments, Lord, we would know your help and we would know the hope that comes through the Holy Spirit. And above all, Lord, we just commit ourselves to this journey of discipleship and pilgrimage that you have us on. Let it not be for our own happiness, Father, but let it be to demonstrate the reality of the kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.